say hello to the online community, Overland Park community. Very happy to be worshiping together in uh, these new modern ways and uh, to be in front of the Word together no matter where we are. So what a blessing that is. Well, it is always um, a delight uh, to see a smaller crowd for your second sermon than your first. <laughs> Very affirming. No, I... I know that it's Labor Day weekend, and uh, I understand how plans uh, come and go, so I hope the people that aren't here are getting a good rest, because I'm going to really give them a kick in next week. <laughs> so we are in the book of Philemon, and uh, Philemon is a book about reconciliation in Christ. It's reconciliation with Christ, and then that reconciliation needs to be uh, experienced horizontally with each other. And uh, it's a very practical letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote to an individual about a very real situation of reconciliation. And so I think it is such a valuable book for us as we each walk in this world needing reconciliation. Let's start by reading the Word of God. We're going to be looking at Philemon verse 1, 3 through 10, and 15 to 17. Please stand as we read together. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brothers, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your Holy Spirit was in control of this conflict 2,000 years ago and wrote it down so that we could see our conflicts in light of it. Help us, Father, by your spirit to reveal to us where we need to be peace seekers, peace givers, and peacemakers. Help me, Father, as the minister of this word today to speak clearly, with conviction, and out of the way, so it is simply your word to us. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so again, the letter of Philemon is a personal letter written by Paul addressing a conflict between a man named Onesimus and a man named Philemon. Philemon is the person who has been wronged. Onesimus is the one who is coming back to seek reconciliation. And so we have one conflict in this book, and three different parts. We have the story of Onesimus. He is the one who has 
done the wrong, and he is the one seeking peace. He is our peace seeker. Then we have Philemon. He is the one who has been wronged. He is the peace giver. And then finally, we have Paul, who is the friend of both. He is the peacemaker. So last week, uh, we got to see the story of Onesimus. This week, we are going to see the story of Philemon, and we're going to focus on giving peace, the story of Philemon. So as we come into this story, I want us to enter into Philemon's moment. What is Philemon's moment? Well, when this letter comes to him, he has had probably a year where all he has known about Onesimus is what a traitor, betrayer, awful person he was who ran away, who stole my money, who is doing who knows what with my money, and he has had nothing but a year to think of the name Onesimus as basically a bad word. Right? He has had a year to be angry and to be bitter. He has had a year to stew on all of the laws that he can throw at Onesimus. He has had a year to think about what justice will look like when finally I see Onesimus again. That's Philemon's moment. And the question that the book asks is, will he forgive Onesimus or will he punish him? What about you? Let's not make it about Philemon. Let's imagine that somebody who has hurt you, betrayed you, wronged you in a way that you can't really shake, meets you today after this sermon and says, I'm sorry, can we reconcile? Are you ready to forgive? You see, Philemon has to rise to that moment. And to rise to that moment, we have to go through this door of reconciliation. We, we looked at it last week. We have a door that has three different locking mechanisms on it. And it's this door that is keeping us from living outside in the beauty and the freedom of the gospel. And we have locked ourselves through a failure to be reconcilers inside, away from that freedom. Last week we saw that one of the keys, one of the things that takes the lock off that door is peace-seeking, saying the words, I'm sorry. And so we can take the chain off because we've all mastered peace-seeking, right? So now we have the door and we still have two locks. And here's the point. Unforgiveness is one of the locks on this door. And I think it's probably the strongest one. I picture it being that bar, that very heavy bar that will not budge. Until you forgive, there is a bar keeping you from going out that door. Why do we live behind the door of unforgiveness? I mean, it's very natural. Unforgiveness is not something that just comes out easy, especially if we're hurt. And I think that that is the key. When we are needing to forgive, it is a situation where always we have been wronged. We have been wronged, and wrongs come with strong feelings. 
my counseling uh, professor taught me a little acronym about the uh, way that we in our natural selves process wrongs done to us. It's the acronym HARD, H-A-R-D. And the way it works is basically this. When you're wrong, the first thing you feel is hurt. You're hurt. And the way you experience that hurt is then to get angry at the person that hurt you. And if you allow that anger just to continue to intensify, it works itself down into resentment. Resentment is the process of just refeeling that anger over and over again. And then when that resentment really sets in, you start doing destructive behaviors. You start plotting revenge. You start figuring out how you're going to even the scales. You start imagining the thing you'll say, <laughs> the next chance you get. And so you become hard in your unforgiveness. You see, unforgiveness hardens us. Do you relate to that process? I, I do. Um, some of you know a little bit of my, about my story, about how I got here, but another part of that story was I was a, a pastor of a church that I very much loved pastoring down in Baton Rouge and enjoyed the, the community, the fellowship, the worship, and the, the direction that we were going. Uh, but as time went on, the elders of this church and I just became less and less in agreement about what we wanted to do. And we came to a place, a very difficult place, where the elders decided uh, it was best for me to leave. And so uh, they asked for my resignation. And that hurt. That hurt. I loved that church. That church was my family. It was my community. So in being asked to leave, I, I lost you know, my community. I lost my job. <laughs> I lost the ability to support my kids. My kids lost all their friends. We ended up having to, to move. And all of this, you know, I can look back on it as they hurt me. And all of this is because of that. So I felt a lot of anger. And that anger naturally went into resentment. You see, this is like a, a quicksand. It is so easy to get swallowed up in the hardness of unforgiveness. It takes no effort at all. It's the natural thing. And so uh, I found myself in resentment, and I found in my heart many uh, plans of things I would like to do, which were unchristian. I only did a few of them. <laughs> how, how can we be freed to forgive? That's, that's what we need to know. How can we be freed to forgive? Well, Paul's answer to that is verse 6 of Philemon. And I'm going to read it to you in the NIV because I think it actually gets the sense a little more straightforward than the ESV. The NIV verse 6 says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. So here's Paul's prayer to Philemon. He says, I pray that your participation, your uh, living in the faith of Jesus Christ will help you become deeper in your knowledge and understanding of what you have in the gospel. Jesus Christ. So the gospel, he is saying, puts into us the power to forgive. 
But for that power to come out, we have to actually practice the gospel. We have to live out the gospel. Do I need to move this a little bit? Maybe like that? I'm going to try it that way. Uh, We need to bring the, the news of the gospel out into the way we live our lives, into the way that we think. Maybe a way to illustrate this verse, um, I was thinking of, a, of an African folktale. I'm a big student of, of stories from all over the world, and, uh, and, and as I was thinking about this verse, uh, an African folktale just, just kind of said, yeah, that's, that's perfect. And the name of this African folktale is The Lion King by Disney. There's this really great uh, turning point in the middle of the movie where uh, the main character, Simba, is just, he is living in guilt and shame. He is hurt and hiding, and uh, he, is, he is the son of the king, but he has rejected his, his sonship, and he is just wandering lost. And he meets the wise Rafiki who takes him to a pool, which we have a picture of, and wants uh, Simba to look at his reflection in the water. And so he does. He looks at the reflection in the next picture and he sees himself. He sees the, the hurt, running, lost lion. He sees himself. That's the face that he has. That's the face that he knows. But then Rafiki says, no, I want you to look harder. And then as he sees his reflection changes, and what reflects back is the face of his father, the king, Mufasa. You see, what Rafiki wants this Simba to recognize is that he bears the image of his father, and he has run away from bearing that image. And if he wants to live out who he really is, he must take on and put into practice the calling of his kingship. He bears the image of his father. And here's the story of Philemon. We bear the image of Christ. And unforgiveness hides that image. Unforgiveness hides that image. Paul is calling Philemon to respond to Onesimus' hurt by reflecting Christ. And so here's where it boils down for all of us. This This is how life works. Hurts can lead to hardness. Or they can conform us to Christ. Our hurts can lead to hardness or they can conform us to Christ. So how do we become peace givers? We become peace givers as we conform to Christ in three different respects. We conform to God's will, we conform to God's love, and we conform to God's mercy. Let's look at that first one together. We become peace givers as we conform to his will. God's will in this letter is right at the beginning. Verse 3, Paul writes, Grace and peace to you from God our Father. That is the will of God. Grace and peace. And we should not overlook the fact that every one of Paul's letters starts with the word grace. There is so much theology packed in to, the, to, to beginning these letters with those words, 
that we should not overlook them. You see, grace as the first word teaches us that God greets us with grace. His letters don't start with, what have you done this time? His letters don't start with, you again? His letters don't start with, I can't believe what you did. They start with grace and peace. Grace comes to us at the start. It comes before we seek, before we do, before we deserve. Grace tells us that God did not come to collect our debts. He came to wipe them out. God's will for sinners is his grace. So, if God has greeted us with grace, how are we to greet others? Paul is calling Philemon to show grace. That's what he says in verse 8 and 9. He says, accordingly, even though I could command you what to do, yet, for love's sake, I'm only asking. Now that's probably a, 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 a place that Onesimus sweats a bit, right? Like, my life's on the line, and you could just say, do this. You could make it a command, but instead you want Philemon, the guy who I thought was worth running away from, you're telling him, do what you think is right? What's the point? You see, grace is what God has done for us freely. It is his will towards us. He does it because he wants to. And so Paul wants Philemon to do the same thing, to show grace from a heart that has been conformed to God's grace. You see, the gospel calls us not to simply know the will of God or to approve the will of God. It calls us to practice the will of God to make it our own. Is grace easy? Is grace easy? <laughs> no. It wasn't easy for God. Grace is hard. When God greets you with the words grace, he greets you because these words have been fulfilled. Isaiah 53.10 Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Every time God says the words grace to you, he is spilling out his riches because Christ has purchased them for you. The words grace from God have the hard cost of the cross. So when God tells us to show grace. Yes, grace is hard, but what better way to learn the grace God has given to us than to experience a small piece of how hard it was. We become peace givers, secondly, as we conform to his love. Now, in verse 11, Paul says in a little aside, he says, formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is useful to you and to me. So Paul is, is sharing that he knows 
there's a lot of history between Philemon and Onesimus. Philemon has known Onesimus well as a lazy, lousy, untrustworthy, you keep filling in the blanks. He has a long history of being pretty fed up and sick and tired of Onesimus. Onesimus ran away, and I am sure that is the last straw of another one of Onesimus's terrible things he's done to me. This is how Philemon's narrative works, and Paul wants to talk about that. You see, there is a lot of history that Philemon has with Onesimus, and that history will not allow him to receive back Onesimus. Philemon must see Onesimus afresh. He must see him as God sees him. And how does God see Onesimus? With love. Let's dwell upon the greatness of God's love that is shown to Onesimus and to all of us. First of all, God's love is for love. It's it's love that comes before our beginning. When Paul says, perhaps he was parted from you for this reason, that you would have him uh, back forever as a brother, he says that very strangely. He doesn't say, perhaps this is why Onesimus ran away from you. No, he says, Onesimus was parted from you. And parted is in the passive. An English teacher would really hate this sentence. Why has Paul put the key verb in the passive? Because the real agent in this sentence is not Onesimus or Paul or Philemon. It is someone from outside interjecting their will. See, it is God's will, ultimately, that parted Onesimus from Philemon. Why? Because it was God's will to show his love upon Onesimus, the runaway, and make him a child. Now that love came to Onesimus before Onesimus ever thought of coming to God. You see, God's love comes before. Second, God's love is forever. Onesimus is now uh, our brother forever, Paul says. Why is it forever? Because God's love never ends. Now that Onesimus is in in God's love, he is in God's love always and forever. And then third, God's love is a father love. Onesimus is our beloved brother in the Lord. Onesimus has become a child of God. God has become his father. The greatness of God's love is that there's no beginning to it, there's no end to it, it's deep, it's tender, and it's strong. And that is the love that God has placed upon the offender. God's question then is, will you love who I love? Will you love who I love? Consider this, Philemon, and we're not apologizing for this, this is just the culture he was in, Philemon was a slave owner. 
Onesimus was a slave, and he lived very comfortable with that dynamic. That was the culture he lived in, and that seemed right and fine to him. But now Paul writes this letter and says, your slave is now your brother. Now how can he treat Onesimus the same way? He cannot treat someone he called property as a brother. So to make him a brother requires him to change entirely the relationship that he has with his slave. You see, this is where the letter of Philemon completely rots out the institution of slavery. Because the gospel changes our social relationships. The relationships that the world says we are to have are reordered according to what the gospel says is true. Philemon now must receive Onesimus no longer as a slave, but must see him as he truly and eternally will be his brother. The gospel means God's love must order our affections. It must break barriers. Gospel love must grow in us a like and an affection and a compassion for people that we don't want to like. We should be growing in who we love, not shrinking. That's what it means to be conforming to God's love. And so let me ask you a question has it or is our love still shaped by ethnic lines or economic lines or education lines or political lines what is shaping who we love there is a, 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 an absurd amount of influence that social media and 24-hour news has. And they are teaching us minute by minute to love the people who are just like you. And don't love anybody who's any different. The Bible, the gospel, tells us to love as Christ loves. Christ so loved the world that he gave himself. Beloved. Who is conforming your love? Is it breaking barriers? Is it hard? Yeah, it's, it's hard. But God's love was hard. Luke chapter 9 verse 30 or 22 uh, says this from Jesus, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. We know those verses. I've read those verses uh, many times. It tells us what Jesus had to go through to go to the cross. But after I was dismissed from my pastorate, I saw that verse afresh when I read the words, the Son of Man must be rejected by the elders. That's awful pain. 
He knows it. He knows one of my deepest hurts. And he knows it worse than I know it. He went to the cross. Why did he go to the cross? Because of our sin. He was hurt by us. But he loved us more. He was hurt by us, but he loved us more. For God demonstrates his own love in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now when I dwell upon the reality that he was hurt by us, but he loved us more, and I've been rejected by elders, how do I respond to that? I had no love in my heart. But I did begin to pray every day in the shower. And I know, how many times are you going to talk about your shower, Nathan? <laughs> I do a lot of stuff in my shower. Um, our water bill's very high. Matters not where it was. The point is to conform myself to the love that Jesus had for me starts with prayer. The hard love of reconciliation deepens our amazement for God's love for us. Right? You see the gift as you practice hard love, you discover the, the fact that you were an object of hard love that he loved anyway. Third, we will become peace givers as we conform to his mercy. Now what happened when Onesimus believed the gospel when Paul preached it to him? He was forgiven, right? Right there in that prison cell. And when God forgives, I want you to see this, he forgives us one instantly. Right there in that prison cell, Onesimus was forgiven. No probation. Second, he was forgiven completely. He is now forever a son of God. There's nothing left to be worked off. And third, he is forgiven into unending communion with him. Forever at that moment, Onesimus is a child who sits at the Father's table. And no one can take his seat away. It is forgiveness that comes instantly, completely, and br brings unending communion. The picture for me of this is the, the picture of the Father in the parable of the prodigal son. Do we have a picture of that? Yeah. This is a, a picture by Rembrandt. You know the parable of the prodigal son. And you expect that he's going to come back and the father is going to, to uh, say, I, I can't believe what you did. And, and throw the book at him. And maybe make him work it off. I mean, all those things would be reasonable. But instead, what the, 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 the father does his races out, wraps his arms around in a hug of joy and gladness. You see, the Father is more interested in reconciliation, more interested in the relationship than what he did wrong. And so his face and his hug is upon us the moment we forgive, or we, 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 we come to him in the gospel. 
So what about us? This is how God has forgiven. What about us? One of the hardest verses is Ephesians 4.32 for me. It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul is calling Philemon to do the same. He says, I want you to restore the relationship. I want you to receive him as you would receive me. He wants him to forgive completely. Don't leave anything on Onesimus' account. Charge it all to me. And then third, he does not want Philemon to wait. He wants that forgiveness to come soon. How do we know that? Because in verse 22, Paul says, prepare a guest place for me because I'm going to come and visit you. And what do you think he's going to want to find out about? So the forgiveness that we are counseled to give through uh, Paul's words to Philemon is to be giving forgiveness that restores the relationship, that forgives completely, and that is not slow. Now I put in a small little term there, usually, because I do recognize that in this situation there are some hurts and there are some things that have happened in your past that may not be able to just so simply apply those principles. There's still the principles that we need to work through but you may need some pastoral counsel, especially if there are situations that involve violence or law-breaking or things like that. So we, we seek to live out these principles, but we may require some additional wisdom and counsel in how to do it in our particular case. You all understand that? Okay. The question then, are you going to forgive too? Rembrandt's picture has a, another person actually that we can see, and that is the elder brother. The elder brother has a completely different view of the younger brother than the father. He has scorn. He has scorekeeping. He has a merciless face. The elder brother teaches us the danger of unforgiveness because that picture shows us that unforgiveness separates us from our brother and it separates us from the father because the elder brother doesn't join the banquet. He is deliberately kept outside. Uh, yeah, but mercy and forgiveness, it hurts. It hurts, and I know. But again, hear the words of Jesus in Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, this was done for us. Jesus took the pain of the nails and said to those who put him on the cross, which includes you and I, Father, forgive them. If we are going to be conformed to his mercy, we must recognize that we have been givers and receivers of his mercy. And that's what happens in verse 19 when Paul says, don't forget Philemon that you owe even your own self. Paul is reminding Philemon that God forgave you too when I preach the gospel. You see, we move into the elder brother role when we forget we were the younger brother. We have to remember that we were all the prodigal, that we have all received mercy. 
Our forgiveness is hard in order to teach us that God's forgiveness of us was hard, but it was rich. And so if gospel mercy is a gift that we cherish, it will become a gift that we give. Now see what happens. We read Ephesians 4.32, you know, forgive as Christ forgave you, and that's where we all stop reading. But then the next verse, Ephesians 5.1 says, therefore, the result of that is your imitators of God as beloved children. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, the context of this is that you are a child of God in the sense that through forgiveness you bear his likeness. When you practice forgiveness because you have received forgiveness, you show the world the face of Jesus. So we become peace givers as we conform to his will. We become peace givers as we conform to his love. We become peace givers as we conform to his mercy. Isn't the gospel beautiful? We conform to what he has given us. His grace, his love, his mercy are richly poured out on sinners like you and me. And how do we receive his grace, his love, his mercy? We put our faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Before I go any further, have you received Jesus? Do you know what I'm talking about? How did Philemon finally respond to his moment? What did he do with Onesimus? Did he throw the book at him? I think it's pretty obvious that Philemon took Paul's words to heart and that he forgave Onesimus completely and quickly and made him a brother, not a slave. And why do I say that? Because there's no other explanation for why the book of Philemon would still be in our Bibles. It would go in my trash can <laughs> if I did not want to take it to heart. So are you ready for your Philemon moment? It will come. About 10 months ago, one of my close friends from my previous church came down with a, a serious illness and passed away. And uh, his request for me was that I would come and preach his funeral, which I was happy to do. But I also knew that he was close friends with one of the elders, one of the elders who was most opposed to me. So I knew going to this funeral was going to involve being again in the same room as somebody who had hurt me. And so I, I went to that funeral and I still, you know, I didn't know what would happen, how I would handle it. And when he was there and I was in front of him, the grace of God came through me. And I did something I had never done to this man before. I hugged him. I just hugged him. Friends, forgiveness is so freeing. It is a beautiful thing 
to participate in? Do you want to grow in the riches of God's grace, love, and mercy? Then, beloved, open the door of your heart and give your offender the gift of forgiveness. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that all that we read in this book is true, and therefore we know you the richness of your grace, the immeasurableness of your love, and the uh, uncountable greatness of your mercy to us. Oh, Father, I pray that you would conform us to be more like your son Jesus, that we might show the face of the one whom we bear. Father, give us the grace of forgiveness. Do the work on our hearts to prepare ourselves to reconcile to that person who has hurt us. We pray, Heavenly Father, for your glory in all of these things. In Christ we pray, amen.